You just, they, they change you forever, good or bad or, or whatever. This was one of those moments. It was a, a funeral that uh, we were doing at our church. This is the church I youth pastored at in Michigan. And this, this family was uh, not a believing, a Christian family by any means. They, they, just, they just weren't, and, uh, and they didn't know Jesus. And, and so uh, they didn't really have a, a relationship necessary to our church. Just someone in our church had some kind of connection with them. And so uh, this guy had passed away, and they needed a place for the funeral. So our church was happy to host them, and one of our associate pastors was doing the funeral, and I had the privilege this day, and you'll see what I mean in a minute, to be doing sound. And so I was the sound man, so I was up in the sound booth, and we had a, a larger auditorium, and behind uh, there's, there's a balcony, and so you can kind of see everything from the, the balcony. I'm up there doing sound, and so uh, this day, this funeral goes off like any other funeral does. Uh, kind of uneventful, uh, didn't know the people, and so I was kind of, you know, I was half sleeping, and I was actually preparing for a missions trip, so I was, my mind was kind of there, and just wasn't really there, uh, until the middle of the service, when the pastor, Pastor Hal is his name, opened it up for just open comments, open mic. Now, if you know me at all, or you've ever been, before been around me during a funeral, I don't allow open mic for funerals, and this is the reason why. What you're about to hear. Uh, just not, we just don't. And neither did this pastor, normally. But this family had begged him to allow them to have an open mic for this funeral. So he relented. He, he did it. And, and again, so he opens it up for the open mic. And this guy stands up right about there and stands up and doesn't even get to the mic and starts shouting obscenities and shouting just cursing and just everything at this guy, the, the, the guy who'd passed away. He's pointing at the, you know, the casket. He's angry. He's yelling. He's throwing uh, a bite, like books out of the, uh, uh, the, uh, um, the pews. I mean, it's just, he's going nuts. And I was just, you know, like, again, we're kind of all just, you know, in this lull. It's like, okay, whoa, what is, what's going on here? He's <laughs> kind of woke up there and, and watched this happen. Well, then four guys from different parts of the crowd jump up and run and tackle the guy. And they're throwing punches and they're going crazy. And these are all, you know, guys in their 40s and 50s. And they're just punching them and just going nuts. And they're yelling and they're cussing and they're, you know, all this stuff. And so here we are in church Pastor Hal is in the front with big, giant bug eyes just doing this. He's like, I don't know what to do. He looks at me. I look at him and start kind of, I was kind of chuckling because I was like, I don't know what you do right here. <laughs> and he's just kind of standing there. Well, these guys, uh, uh, they're fighting for a little bit. And Pastor Hal is kind of like, guys, uh, you know. So they get up. And these guys grab this dude. And they, t they bring him out. And they drag him out into the foyer, which would have been behind our, our sanctuary. Well, me being the, you know, not nosy person I am, I had to see what was going to happen. So I ran down the stairs behind us, and just enough to see these guys, there's about, there's two of them that were holding him down, punching him, and just calling all this kind of stuff. Well, the other two guys were, I assume, outside. A car pulled up under the, uh, the, the, the awning, and these guys grab him, and they bring him out to the car, and the car 
peels away with these five guys in it. And I'm standing there going, what did I just see? And Pastor Hal is in there. You know, I, I think he said something like, I'm not sure how to finish this up here, so I'm just going to continue like nothing happened. And, and that's what he did. It was just kind of crazy. And it was, you know, the elephant in the room. And, and that's why I don't allow open mics. Now you know. But, um, but, but the, 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 the reality is, is we, we came to find out these five guys were the sons of the man who had passed away. And when, my, when Pastor Hal had talked to the family, uh, what came out was that this family had just had incredibly ab- amounts of conflict for years. And we're thinking, yeah, really? You think so? I mean, you know, conflict's a part of life, isn't it? It's a part of life. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what situation you're in, when you have people around, you have opportunity for conflict, right? Part of life. And, and, and that's what we're talking about this morning. We're, we're talking about conflict today, but more specifically, we're talking about how to resolve conflict right. Because how many of y'all know there's a well, wrong way, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. And there's a right way to resolve conflict. Jesus had some things to say about that. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And, and we're gonna, that's going to be our, our text this morning. Uh, but then also put a finger in, in Luke chapter 9 as well. Because Luke 9 gives us some insight into what ha- what's happening in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a loaded question, right? Like, Kind of like when your wife says, Where are we going to eat tonight? And she wants you to answer Olive Garden, but she doesn't want to go to Olive Garden because she's afraid if she goes to Olive Garden, she'll overeat on breadsticks like everybody does. Right? We all do that. So she wants you to say no, and really she wants you to say yes. And it's a loaded, not, not a real situation. Okay, no, no, don't worry. That was made up. But, you know, it, that's, it's, it's a loaded question, right? This is a loaded question. Why is this a loaded question? Well, it is because it's here as a result of a conflict. You say, well, how do you know? Why? It doesn't say that here. Well, let's go over to Luke chapter 9, and Luke 9 gives us insight into what's happening in this moment. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means same or similar. They're, they're similar accounts of the same uh, occurrences. And so they each give different uh, uh, details and the same thing. So here's what Luke says about this moment. He says in verse 46, an argument started among the disciples... As to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. He then said to him, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest." Now, I wonder if these guys who are arguing and then ask this question, I wonder if they expected Jesus to give them an answer like this. Like, Lord, who's the greatest among us? And he would say, well, all of you guys are. You're all wonderful. I love you all so much. And give them a little kisses and hugs because they kiss back then a lot, way more than we do nowadays. So, you know, just give them a little kiss and say, I love you. You're all just so great. You're my disciples. It makes you pretty great, Right? 
you know, you're, the someday the church, my church will be planted because of you, that makes you pretty great. I, I wonder if they thought he'd answer like that. But he doesn't, right? He doesn't answer like that at all. When he answers them, he answers with this answer. Who is the greatest? Verse 3. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change, and that's an important word, change, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That's a big statement, isn't it? It's one I'm sure you've probably heard preached and, and taught and you've read probably many times in this place. And so Jesus says the answer to your question, who's the, the greatest? Well, greatness comes by those who have childlike faith and who humble themselves, right? Now, I'm not telling you anything that you've never heard before here, right? You know, that's a pretty important thing. But this is an interesting moment because Jesus, while answering this question, uh, we have the rest of, of, of Matthew chapter 18, and he goes into some three separate illustrations that have seemingly nothing to do with this answer. He says, next, he talks about whoever causes a child to stumble, it'd be better for them to have a millstone hanging around their neck and throw into the sea. You've probably seen it in cartoons before. You know, uh, maybe, maybe that, you know. And then he talks about a story of a wandering sheep and a good shepherd who would leave the 99 to go after the one because the good shepherd is all about the lost. And then he goes into a story about an unmerciful servant. And this unmerciful servant, uh, you know, and you can read the story there. You can cheat, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Read the story there. The unmerciful servant, servant has a great debt. He himself is forgiven of, but he goes out and exacts a smaller debt on somebody else. And so he's the unmerciful servant. Jesus has some very not nice things to say to that, to that guy. Uh, read it, and you'll know what I'm talking about there. But it, that's an interesting mix of ideas, isn't it? And you probably heard before preaching on those three, three areas. Maybe if you've been in church long, you've heard messages that have to do with each one of these three ideas separately. They all stand on their own. They're all absolutely important ideas. And I've preached before on these things. But the question comes this morning is, can these have something to do with conflict as well? Now, I think they do, and the reason why I think they do is because of the context of the statements. Because Jesus is answering a question about a question given in conflict, and then tucked into the middle of these three ideas, Jesus addresses conflict very, very uh, head-on. So these three ideals here, though they stand on their own, also have a teaching for us when it comes to doing and living and being in conflict. See, the greatest teacher in the world did this stuff a lot. He, he did. And, and studying the scriptures and knowing what the word says is, is so helpful for us. This is one of those moments. Jesus knew there'd be conflict among his disciples. There'd be problems. There'd be disagreements. There'd be moments like this when they said, who is the greatest of all of us? If you were there, you'd think, man, those guys were knuckleheads. But I'll bet you that all of us, if we sat in that place as well, we might have done the same exact thing, right? 
We can learn from these, from these guys sometimes. And, and Jesus understood that though conflict's a part of life, that they'd have to learn how to deal with conflict like disciples and not like everybody else. So he, he, he walks them through those things. And life is, is full of conflict, isn't it? You got work conflict, right? Remember back when I was a valet in, in college, I had a, a several work conflicts. <laughs> I had one, one this guy that, that worked for me one time. This is when I was a, a supervisor, uh, which isn't always the best thing in the world. And so it was kind of can be tired, tough sometimes. And this guy uh, was new. He was kind of a hothead. And he came in and he thought he knew everything there was to know about valeting in this particular place. Now what he didn't know, there's a lot of things about our ramp that we had, that we had rules about so that you wouldn't get into accidents. But this guy thought he knew better. And so he's always getting into conflict with all of us, us valets who've been working for longer than just a couple weeks. It was, it was constant. I got tired of it so, so often. You have family conflict. When I was a kid, uh, my brothers and I had a little bit of conflict. I remember one time, uh, we, we, were, we were wrestling. We were about probably 15 or 16, so we're pretty big. Uh, we're wrestling in, our, in the bedroom. We shared a bedroom, and it kind of moved from the bedroom into the living room, and then living room into the dining room, and dining room into the kitchen, until we got to the kitchen, and my mom had these plates all around the, 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 her, uh, her, her cupboards, and you know what's coming next, because it is. We're wrestling, and they're gone, and just me and him, and one of her prized plates broke. Okay, fell on the ground. So, of course, being, you know, wise, wise 16-year-old guys, we thought, we'll fix this. She'll never know. So we got the plates out and glued them back together and put them back on the wall, and guess what? It didn't work for long. Oh, worked for a little bit, but not for very long. You have family conflicts. You have marriage conflicts. People who come to me for marriage counseling will say, man, is it weird or is it wrong for us to argue? No, family, couples argue, right? Where are we going to eat tonight? That's a big one, right? You know, but no, there's this conflict all around you. Wouldn't it be nice if a church had zero conflict? Be nice, wouldn't it? See, now you're laughing. Why are you laughing? Well, you know that that's not always the case, isn't it? There's, there's conflict sometimes in church. And the, the reality is, is whenever you have people, you have relationships. And when you have relationships, you have conflict. Now, here's the deal. I got a little secret for you this morning. And here's it. Here's, got to lean in. Got to lean in. Literally lean in, okay? Because, I'm, you know, most of us don't like conflict, okay? And... Most of us handle conflict very poorly, right? This guy that I told you about a few minutes ago, this valet guy, uh, handled conflict poorly. Uh, I always, sometimes I did too. And, and so, remember one time him and I were having some kind of conflict about something and, and he, and, and we had this, this guy that came in, he had, had a brand new Mercedes car. It was a, I think it was a 230, it was a nice car. Uh, just picked it up. Literally that day, brings it in, and you know all the stories. You know, see Ferris Bueller's day off. You know, bring the car to the valley, take good care of it. You know, he brought it, he said, hey, I just picked this up. Can you please take good care of it? Absolutely, sir, we'll take great care of it. So I, I took it myself. I, I parked it in a very good spot, and, and the guy came back a few hours later. It's Christmas time. It was incredibly busy. Uh, when it's Christmas time in our ramp, there was water and ice on the ground, so you had to be very careful with how you drove. So we had rules. 
And this guy that was hothead guy had conflict with those rules. And so I was, was he, he was up for returning this car when the guy came back. I, I shot him a look of death. Like, you better take good care of that car, you know? Like, because I'm the boss tonight, and if something happens, I'm responsible. And so I looked at him, and I said, be careful. And he kind of looks at me like, Shh. And he takes the car, and there's a, a part of our ramp that you couldn't see that was, you know, blocked off to public. And so he is speeding through the ramp. And so I am in the middle saying, slow down, slow. Which for me was funny because I usually drove fast too, but whatever. So slow down, slow down. And then there comes a point in the ramp where you have to stop because traffic will come through here. So as a valet, you've got to stop right here to let people go through. Well, this guy thought he knew better. And so he took a little different way thinking he could avoid it. And you know what's coming next. A guy in a Cadillac was coming out of the ramp, and, and this is from here to the back wall. Like, okay, here's the customer, and there's this thing happening. This dude in this Mercedes, brand new that day, comes and T-bones the Cadillac and ruins, totals the Cadillac and absolutely ruined the Mercedes. The whole place goes silent. And this guy who owned this car is standing there, and I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, what just happened? I have to deal with this. And so the guy gets out of the car, he looks at the car, looks at the cat, looks at me, and I say, you, get out of here. I, I fired him on the spot. I was so mad about that, so I had to deal with this, this guy. We don't always deal with conflict well, do we? And that's the situation here in this, this moment today. You see, honestly, conflict is a part of life. And many people, and there's many people. I run to people in, at, at Caribou and the store all the time who here, I'm a pastor, and, well, they used to go to church. They used to attend or, or this or that. But because of conflict, they don't anymore. There's a lot of people out there like that. And, and, and they just don't go. They say, well, I'm going to stay at home and whatever. And, and they miss out. There's a lot of people maybe here who say, well, I'm here, but I don't want to get too close to people because I know if I do, there'll be conflict, and I don't want to deal with that. I've got no time for conflict, and so I just don't want to have it. And, and that can be a, a situation for a lot of us. And maybe today you say, well, I, I don't want conflict, so I'm going to just get in my car, and I'm going to drive to Alaska. I'm going to buy a, a little log cabin in the woods, I'm never going to see another person in my life. I'm going to chop wood. I'm going to kill bears and eat those. And just, that's going to be my, someone's life. Someone just got blessed, right? And you're like, oh, come on. That's right. It's my life. You know what? You're still going to have conflicts. And you say, who in the world can I have conflict with? Well, bears. That would be one area you could have conflict. Uh, you probably have a person on your, on your property at some point. But you may have conflict with yourself, right? It's a part of life. We have to get this right. Jesus talked about this in verse 15 of this passage. And he says, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. Now, this is an important thing right here. If you, your brother or sister. Now, this doesn't always work or happen well if you're outside of the body of Christ. These are rules. These are, these are things that 
Jesus set up for those within the body of Christ. They are important for that. Church, we are bound to these things. These are not just good ideas that we can kind of do if we want to. These are binding things that you and I have to do. But here's the deal, is that these are also good ideas outside of the church as well. Now, they may not always work as well because people who are not believers... They don't have, they're not bound to the same spirit and the same beliefs that we are, but these work elsewhere. Your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. Someone in here is like, that's right. I can't wait to do that. He finally gave me permission. I'm going to go find that person right now and point out their fault. But you have to take this into context. Remember before, I warned you that this was probably not just here by accident. That those, that those four ideas were not just there by accident. They're things that Jesus showed us. They're examples from life that showed us tools that we are to use to go into conflict in a biblical way. Number one, it says choose to take a lowly position. When Jesus says earlier, when he says in the passage here, when he talks about the idea that it is for you to choose to be humbled, he is talking here and saying, you need to choose to take a lowly position. So often when dealing with conflicts, that's the last thing on our minds, isn't it? We are right, they're wrong, I'm correct, you're, wrong, you're not, I got the right thing, you don't, and so I'm going to go to you with this in mind. That I'm right and you're wrong. When the scriptures here say and talk about the importance that you have to, before you do, go and choose to take a lowly position. If you approach that brother or sister or that person that you have a conflict with and you don't do this first, it sets up the rest of this interaction in a very wrong way. So choose this. But number two, you need to protect the simple in heart. So what does that mean, Pastor Steve? Well, it means this. When Jesus gives the example and he gives the word, he gives the idea about how we are to help and how we are to not let the, the child go and how we're, we are to, to be there to, to, to help children who are simple in heart, protect them. When he says this, he's talking about the greater idealism as, as well. Listen to verse 7 of chapter 18. He says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Offense and, 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 and brokenness and unforgiveness and bitterness can cause people to act like children sometimes, right? Have you ever met someone before who is hurting, who is bitter, who is angry, who acts like a child? Have you ever met them before? See, our attitude a lot of times, we just, we're going to go to them and make sure they know how stupid or how foolish they're being. When Jesus here gives us an idea, he, tells, he ties childlike people, both literally and, fi and figuratively, to a responsibility we have to, care, to be careful not to bring the person to a place of stumbling. When you go to a person that is hurting, when you go to a person that is childlike, that's messing up, it is your responsibility as the goer to ensure that you're protecting their hearts. That seems kind of, why is that my job? Why is that my responsibility? Why is that what I have to do? That is smart when it comes to dealing with conflict. I think a lot of people in my life who I've had conflict with or with me, and they have been hurt, and they have been frustrated. They've been all kinds of things. 
It's a person who sees that and recognizes that. It's not my job to say, you're being a child. Just knock it off. It's my job to protect them and help them to understand this is, this is not how you live your life. There's a better way to, to do this. Number three, restoration is the plan. When Jesus gives the testimony, he gives the idea, when he gives the, the understanding that the good shepherd goes out with his heart to reach the 99 and find the one, he is showing a story about who God is and what God is like, that God is into restoration, period. God wants to see people come to know him. He wants to see people restored and turned around. When we have this as a plan, we have this as the heart, what we're trying to do, that we're not just there to be right, but we're there to restore, it changes how we approach conflict. When my heart for you is not that I'm right and you're wrong and you're going to hear it, but, I'm, but I want to come to a place of restoration, where there's restoration between us. Well, that changes the game entirely. And like Jesus, restoration was always at the, the heart of, of, of Jesus. It should also be at the heart of us who are believers. I mean, we miss this when we, when we go into situations like we, that need to be dealt with. We go into them with saying, I'm right, you're wrong, and, and, and restoration is not the plan. Number four, forgiveness is the goal. When Jesus text tells illustrations about the unmerciful servants and places it here in, in context of conflict resolution, something is established. That when you go, you lead with grace. When conflict arises, forgiveness has to be at the forefront of our purpose. That the forefront of your purpose is not forgiveness, it's not, not restoration. That you don't go with the heart to protect them, you don't go with the heart to choose to be, be humble. You're going to miss this, miss the mark here. So to put this together, to resolve conflict right, you need to be humble, you need to protect those that need it, you need to restore, and you need to forgive. Jesus gives us this, these words, and he says in verse 18, he continues, he Brother, sister, sins, go and tell them their fault just between the two of you. In other words, don't involve others at first. It needs to be just you and that person. You, you know, if you do that in that order, if you do that the right way like that, so often, con so often conflict is taken care of here at this spot, in this moment. You can take care of this right here. We have to lean in to the word and let the word influence our lives and let our lives influence the words. In other words, put on your big boy or big girl pants and talk to the person. Say, here's the situation, here's the deal. And again, a majority of conflicts will stop and be done right here if we would just do this. But often we don't, do we? It's hard. It involves Talking, it involves uh, the potential for disagreement. It involves a person who may not like us or may not like to deal with this with us. That happens sometimes. It takes guts, it's hard, and it requires we're vulnerable. And those are things we're not always great at today. But here's the deal. Left unchecked, left dealt with, undealt with, left when there is problems and conflict between us that's undealt with, what happens so often is that we get bitter or they get bitter 
we get unforgiving or they get unforgiving. We have problems and things between us. And, and, and don't you think the enemy just loves when this happens in churches? Because when, in churches, if we can, we can fight between us and fight with us and versus them and all these things, then we are not fighting the enemy, we're fighting each other. A church that is full of conflict will not be a church that's effective, period. It can't be. A family who's full of conflict will not be a family who's effective. A workplace, go on down the line. It is imperative that we deal with these things right. But again, many of us want to turn and run the other way and put our heads in the sand say, it'll just go away or we'll just forget about it. And so many of us have so many burdens and so many issues and problems and conflicts and things on our backs that are so full of, of, of bitterness and pain and unforgiveness that we don't know what it's like to live free of these things. When Jesus has called us to deal with these things, which may be tough at first, to walk away from those things. You see, hands, hands raised in anger have a hard time raising their hands in praise. A heart that is filled with bitterness will have a hard time being filled with the Spirit. Someone has to take the lead. And I'll be honest with you this morning, you are that one. You might be here today and your heart's beating because you know you have conflict. And you're like, oh man, he's going to do it. He's going to say it. Yep, you're right, I am. It's your, it's your, it's your responsibility, it's your role. And if you do it well, the passage continues, there's your word. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But see, now how do you know if you've done this right? Well, here's a few quick questions that you can answer. Number one, what's your goal? If your goal is revenge or restoration, if your goal is revenge, if your goal is to get back at them because you're right, they're wrong, uh, you're probably not ready yet for conflict resolution. If, if your goal is to get them, to, to drive the, 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 the hammer further in, it's probably not ready for you to go yet because question two is have you prayed it through? Our tendency when dealing with conflicts with other people, we pray, we, we pray about this. We pray, God, help them see my side of the story. Lord, help them see they're wrong. Lord, help them see that this is bad. Help them see this or see that. And it's very possible that they're wrong and you are right. But the problem comes is that those are things, those are, those are heart issues that God turns and God changes. But so often he starts with numero uno before he goes to that person. You see, oftentimes, again, this is where biblical conflict resolution ends. But not always. You see, because he continues here. Verse 16, but they will not listen. Take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You may need help. Now, this says, take, not talk. This is not a license for gossip, right? Did you hear about Joe? Did you hear about Sam? Or did you, man, can you believe what they, what they did? I, I tried to go to them and they wouldn't listen. So, man, my, you know, it's all awful. No, take them and not talk to them about these things. You see here, it's, it's important for us to, to do this correctly and be smart who you ask. You ask your mom, 
Your, your mom might be, think that you are right and everyone else is wrong always. And so how dare you accuse my little Jimmy of any problems? And so I'm going to take him along. I'm going to open up my mom on you. Man, no, don't, no. Or it could be the opposite. Possibly your mom and you have a terrible relationship. And so whatever you do is wrong. And so be smart about who you take. Take somebody who you know will give you an honest assessment of a situation. Jesus gives us this here to show us that there should be another set of eyes. If you can't figure it out between you guys, you need to take somebody else along with you to give you another a fresh set of eyes, and you need to be smart about who that person is and listen to their counsel. There have been times when I have gotten to this place and I've called on someone else to come in and say, man, you got to help me out with this. We sit down and we talk and I have discovered that I was the wrong one and they were the right one. And restoration and conflict was dealt with because of this step. you got to be smart about who you take along and listen and have the guts to be honest, to listen if the problem lies with you. But they still may not listen. Jesus continues in verse 17. If they don't, don't listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, we have ways in which to deal with this. This does not mean that you stand up in the middle of preaching and you say, hey, I got a problem with so-and-so right now, and y'all need to hear about this. That's not how this works. We, we have membership. We have things that we do to settle and walk through these things. And so this is an important lesson for us here. If it comes down to it, take it in front of the church. And man, I'll, I'll tell you this morning, I, I hate this. I've only seen this happen a couple times in my life and in my ministry. It's very rare, but there are times when people are so committed to their thing, they cannot listen and that they cannot deal with this and restoration cannot happen. So Jesus says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Those are some strange words, aren't they? You're like, what in the world is he talking about there? But see, if you're a Jew you probably would have known exactly what he was talking about there because you knew pagans were people that a Jew did not associate with, and so their opinion to you didn't matter. If a pagan to you was a pagan, well, their opinion meant little to you as a Jew. Or a tax collector, they were from within your ranks, but you're like a tax collector. They're a bunch of jerks. They work for the government. They're traitors. I don't care what they think either. And so Jesus says, Treat them as you would a person like that. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus had tax collectors and pagans in his disciples. The very man who wrote this passage was a tax collector, right? That's fascinating. Jesus was known as a friend of pagans and with a friend of sinners. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He was oftentimes seen eating with them. And people who were religious said, you're terrible, you're eating with tax collectors and pagans. So he's a friend of these kinds of people, but he told us this this morning to help us understand the principle that we have to get when it comes down to this. Restoration is always our goal. Jesus with pagans, with tax collectors, 
restoration was always his goal. 1 Peter 2, 23-24 shows his heart when it comes to conflict uh, with those that had conflict with Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This was all of us at one point. As the band comes forward, this was every single person in this room. At one point, you and at one point, I had a conflict with Jesus. We had a conflict, and the conflict was, was revolving around the nature of sin. Sin put a natural wall, a stick between us and Jesus. And every human being at some point in their lives have had to walk through this. And Jesus was a man, Jesus was a Savior who his heart was always, always, always restoration. But why he says this here is he says you've got to come to a place where you limit the unforgiving person's impact on your life. You've got to come to a place, if, it, if you've walked through conflict properly, you come down to the end, you treat them as you would someone who you know they're there, you have a heart for them to be restored, you want to see them turn and change, but their opinions and their ways don't affect you anymore. Man, I've met so many people who as a result of conflict that happened 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, that has not been dealt with and, and walked through and, 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 dealt and changed, have, have allowed this conflict to change them and allow this conflict to ruin them for the rest of their lives. And Jesus here says you got to limit that in their, your life if you don't, You'll never have peace. That person will be free to roam in your life and wreak havoc until you stop it. And that's why this is there. When you've done conflict right, you need to let it go. Why don't you bow your head this morning and close your eyes. It's no doubt right now you probably have conflict with someone in your heart right now. Their face is in your minds. And you knew it was coming down to this, and it is. And I want to encourage you this morning, as we walk through this, this, these steps this morning, I want to encourage you today to do what exactly the end of this passage talks about. You have to be a person whose heart is for restoration, whose heart is for forgiveness, who does this well and, and does this right, but you've also got to learn how to let it go this morning. If that's you today, if you have conflict with someone, and you might be here today, and you might say, Pastor, my conflict is with God. My conflict is because God has done this or done that, or he's, I'm angry at God, and, 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 such, and so on and so forth. I'm so glad you're here today, because here's the truth. He doesn't have conflict with you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he has done, he has done things in your life to bring you to this spot here today. When you can turn away from those things, can turn away with conflict with him and find yourself in his loving, forgiving arms. His heart has always been for restoration, and it is this morning as well. 
So if that's you today and you say, man, that's, that's me, Pastor Steve. I, I, I want, you not had brought him, allowed him into your heart this morning. I want to pray with you today. If that's you, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to, whatever, but I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to pray with me this morning. And if Jesus is calling you, if he is challenging you to turn things over to him, and he's, you're saying, man, your heart's beating right now, you're, you're, you're nervous because you feel like you're about to make the biggest decision of your life. You're right, you are. Bigger than anything else. Give your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I give you my life. I make a promise to you right now. From this day forward, I'll be different. From this day forward, I give you my heart. Forgive me for all the sins I've done, all the things that I have done that don't please you. I lay them at the foot of your cross and recognize that you gave your life for me first. I'm yours from this day forward. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come and to worship you and to learn and to grow. This morning, God, I pray over that person or those persons today that God are living and walking in conflict. I pray over those families. Lord, break it. Lord, over those workplaces. Jesus, break it. Lord, over those marriages. Lord, break it. Lord, over those individuals that live in conflict. Lord, break it. Jesus, teach us to deal with and walk through confident or walk through conflict confidently because of what you did for us. Lord, we thank you. Go with us. This week, we pray this in your strong, awesome, and holy name. This morning, everyone said.